Hi, I'm Keegan Flegner. I'm 17 years old, and I live in Santa Monica, California. When I was in first grade, I was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. Since that time, sports have played a huge role in changing my life. So I want to show the world how all kinds of sports can help all kinds of people with all kinds of mental and emotional challenges. Welcome to Sports on the Spectrum. My guest today is Dr. Kathleen Donahue. Kathleen is a clinical psychologist who works with children, adolescents, and adults in her independent practice in San Mateo, California. She has taught at UC Berkeley in the Department of Psychology and the Graduate School of Education and has published on peer rejection among school children, training issues for psychologists, and the research practice divide. So Kathleen, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And I also want to say right now, today's podcast is actually going to be kind of different in a lot of ways, actually, um, compared to the prior ones I've done. Because the interesting thing about you is, unlike a lot of my previous guests, you don't have that much experience with sports. But at the same time, you have a lot more experience in the spectrum aspect spectrum as- aspect of this. And so I think um, we're going to use um, your appearance today to kind of focus a lot more on that than we have in the past. And so, and the other thing I'd like to note too, is all my podcasts so far, I've also been with friends or who are athletes or coaches um, where we spent time also just reminiscing about the past of it all while mixing in the personal experience at the same time. Um, but a big part of my goal, um, at least for today and just in general too, um, is to educate listeners out there about what it means to ha- deal with these challenges. And I feel like you're going to help us give a little bit more insight than maybe we've gotten some from some of my previous guests. And so I think Great. that'll be something we can uh, utilize very well today and um, kind of uh, eliminate some of the stigmas and also just normalize these types of conditions a little bit more than we have in the past too. So why don't we start uh, with a simple um, question right here. <laughs> And that is, I'd like to ask you to please explain to our audience, who obviously may not be familiar with firsthand experience of being on the spectrum, you know, what it is you do as a psychologist and how you interact uh, with and learn more about people who are on the spectrum. Okay. Well, super happy to be here and love your podcast and what it's doing. Thank you. And and how you're helping everybody learn a little bit more. Thank you very much. What's good for kids on the spectrum, um, and and how forthcoming you are with your own experience. So super great stuff there. Um, so as a clinical psychologist, um, my clinical psychologists can have different roles. Some of them do a lot of testing. Um, some of them do more um, more uh, therapy. That's that's the piece of it that I do. So I work with kids and adolescents um, and adults with a variety of um, you know, presenting problems is what we come in, reasons that they come and seek out services from a psychologist. So could be anxiety or depression, um, and could be OCD, could be you know, a big life transition, could be um, uh, trauma or loss, those kinds of things. And sometimes the people that come in are, are on the spectrum um, and uh, are wanting typically typically wanting help with anxiety. Um, so that's <clears throat> they'd come to me and I'd work one on one and sometimes with parents on helping everyone um, um, kind of solve the problems that they're focusing on solving. Uh, you had a multi-part question. I'm not sure I answered all the parts of it. <laughs> 
No, I mean, it's like, you know, you answered a, you answered probably, I, I guess, what the most important aspect in a sense, which is you basically described what it is you do. And, you know, at the same time, you gave a sense of like the people you interact with often, you know, you mentioned how a lot of them are people who deal with anxiety, which I think totally makes sense. I feel like that's seemingly the most common uh, thing that people struggle with related to this, you know, field and stuff. And so I think mm -hmm. the fact that you um, have extensive experience with that only helps here. I guess maybe I would just quickly ask, it's like, what are some of the things you specifically do with the just these people in general? Like, what is your way of getting to them? Ah, what is my way of getting to them? Good question. Um, <clears throat> look, I don't think I have a, a, a magic or radically different approach than, than a lot of other people in my field do. But I mean, I think key, key to success is, is listening very closely and figuring out what that individual needs and how you can meet them where they are and then help them get to where they want to be. So, I mean, it's it's one-on-one. -on -one. There aren't that many things that are one-on-one -on -one in our lives. You know, we usually groups, the one-on-one -on -one nature of the therapist um, client or therapist patient relationship allows it to be highly individualized to the needs of that person that's coming in, right? And, and so you figure out what that, it's like a puzzle. What, what are kind of the, the how, how do you make you fit with their needs and then together move, move forward or, or make progress? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. You know, I myself has had, have had plenty of experiences, you know, dealing with different psychologists and I definitely see, um, why that kind of approach makes sense and why it matters, you know, because I myself have seen the benefits of it, you know, and how they like to use it on people like me or not use, like kind of help with mm -hmm. people like me. And I definitely can understand um, why you would use that too. And also just like what exactly the benefits of it are and what effect it's, it can have on those people. So I definitely think that's, it's very helpful to hear just exactly what the psychologist's mindset is because at the same time, I'll, I'll just note too, as a patient, it's like you, it's like you said, you need to find a way to trust who's trying to help you here. And so finding effective ways to build that trust from the psychologist's point of view, I definitely think can have all, make all the difference in the world. So, yeah. Um, but it, I'd add, Keegan, that we take, you know, our, our, our training and it's like, I have this, I feel like I have this cloud of training and experience sitting up and I can pull from it to, um, you know, try out different techniques. I pull from what I know about the research, about what works, what has empirical support and bring all that to bear to this very, the very specific individual in front of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, you know, the, the, the thing about being a psychologist, as I'm sure you'll agree, is you have to be perfectly adaptable to all these different people you're going to meet and, you know, just kind of use everything you've gotten from meeting all these different people beforehand to help all these different people afterhand. So I think yeah. that's a, a good way to see it. Um, but anyway, I think I'd like to now ask and try and um, ask a more general context question that focuses more on the idea of being on the spectrum in general. And that is by simply asking, you know, at least from your point of view, maybe, just explain what the spectrum is to the audience today. And, 
you know, what are some of the characteristics associated with it? I know you touched on this a little bit, but maybe just like um, get into it a little more if you can. And also, actually, I'll, I'll add this quick note, too, because I feel like this is a very important term here. What do you think it means to be neurotypical, uh, neuro, neurotypical, I think I said, or atypical? Okay, let's do um, first kind of what does it mean to be on the spectrum? And then we'll go into the kind of neurodiversity sure. kind sure. of world. And um, so, so it's a, it's a clinical diagnosis, at least in my world, it's a clinical diagnosis. It, um, um, spectrum itself suggests huge range or diversity, right? And, and I think that's wonderful to have that be a piece of, of the diagnostic label, the idea that there are many, many different ways to, to, to get this diagnosis, that there's a huge range. Um, um, it, it's a developmental disorder is that that's part of the class, which means it shows up in childhood and um, continues, generally speaking. Um, and it's, um, uh, it's, a, it's a syndrome with a presumed um, shared origin or origins. So actually, people sometimes talk about um, uh, you know, there being several autisms and not just one. Um, <clears throat> um, so we know there's a genetic component, but genes doesn't fully explain it. Um, um, <clears throat> there's lots of good research being done to try to figure it out. So a diagnostic label for, should tell us a little bit about what caused the, the, the thing that you're labeling. We, we don't in fact always know, should tell a little bit about what it what the presentation is, what it looks like, key characteristics, and tell us a little bit about what might happen down the road. I, you know, ideally it gives us like a little bit of all that stuff. So um, the, the what it is right now, what it looks like right now piece, um, there are two kind of buckets of, of um, symptoms. Uh, one is about social and communication patterns, and the other is about um, interests and re repetition, repetitive behaviors. And I can talk more about those, or we can just leave it at that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we can come back to that stuff later. I'm sure it'll be pretty easy to bring up again. Um, but I totally get what you're saying there. You know, this is something like what you're saying right now. It's, it, it's interesting because this is something I totally see in myself a lot of the time, whether where it's harder for me to socially interact with other people that I may not know, or there are behaviors that I repeat that maybe are a little unusual or unique. And so I think for somebody like you to totally see it from the same kind of view or notice it just in general, I think that speaks to just, um, how on the same page, you know, people like you are with us, you know, oftentimes more than we think you are. And I think that probably is the biggest key and why you're so good at this too, too. You know, it's like, you really do understand our point of view in this. And I, and I guess I'll quickly ask, especially now that I know um, what it was I was trying to say, and I apologize for screwing up, but I'll, I'll quickly ask you once again, uh, at least in your, uh, from your point of view, what do you think it means to be neuroatypical? I apologize for screwing that up. Yeah. Earlier. So, um, so I think there's a there's always a, a question when you have that. I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay, a question when you have a label 
is what does that mean for, and for your identity? So there's a diagnostic label that has its own function. We can talk about that another time. Um, but then, you know, me as an individual, what does it mean? How does that label become part of my identity, if at all? Doesn't need to necessarily. And so I think the neurodiversity movement, which is a few decades old and which I'm, I'm no expert in, so I just wanna say that, um, um, started to say, hey, I don't like, you know, this diagnostic label is not the, is not the piece I'm really interested in. I want us, you know, we need to understand that their brains work really differently. And there's a lot of different ways for them to have patterns of strengths and weaknesses. And, um, <clears throat> and people who may be diagnosed as being on the spectrum may fit in with certain types of patterns. And you know what? It's just a different pattern, right? And it's got strengths and weaknesses just like the others. So that's a little bit about the neurodiversity movement. And um, I think it started with um, um, people with people on the spectrum and, um, and, and maybe ADHD could be viewed within that as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and probably lots of other, lots of other things as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's like, it, it, it's so weird too. You know, you mentioned earlier how spectrum covers a wide range of people. It also actually covers a wide range of, you know, topics and stuff and challenges that people deal with in terms of conditions and that kind of thing. So it's like, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. When you say it's like, you know, it may be all these different people who deal with all these different conditions because it is, you know, and I, and I think the fact of the matter is it's like, if we can do our best to include them all, it all helps. Um, so I guess um, what I'll um, ask now and kind of actually in relation to that stuff, um, I'll ask you, what are some of the obvious and not so obvious challenges that are typically experienced by people on the spectrum? And uh, I'll just say this too, you know, it's like, there are so many different ones, I'm not expecting you to name them all, but like, what are some of the ones you see a lot, you know? Well, <clears throat> So um, one um, that I work on broadly, but I think that uh, kids on the spectrum, particularly, um, it, it can be a particularly sore point for them is flexibility. <clears throat> um, and, and that is the, you know, can you adapt to changes in routine, changes in situation, changes in input that you're getting um, and, and sometimes that is a is a tough is a tough spot. Being able to adapt to, to change, adapt to novelty, or adapt to change in routines, or um, or even kind of get yourself out of a, um, a certain emotional state when you get into it. You know, so so a little bit more maybe getting getting stuck sometimes. So that's one. Um, I, should I keep going? <laughs> Go ahead. You can sure. name like one or two more. Okay. You feel. I, I would just say, you know, it's like, feel the ones you feel the people would learn the most if they knew, basically. Okay. I think another one is in, um, implicit rules about social interactions. So um, it could be, you know, when are you supposed to stand and when you're supposed to sit, right? You, so you can look and figure it out sometimes, but... I think 
these unspoken rules about how we interact with other people, they just don't, they don't come automatically. Uh, and, and, and so it takes more direct um, either detective work or observation to figure out some of those, those unspoken mm -hmm. social rules. Um, and um, maybe uh, relatedly like a back and forth in conversation that, that's kind of a unspoken, like how long do I talk before it's your turn? <laughs> and how long do you talk before? And how do we decide that? That's really kind of delicate negotiation, right? How do you figure that out? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but we try to we try to help people figure that out. Uh, absolutely, you know, it's like it, once again, this is a case where it's like everything you're saying. It's like, oh yeah, this happens to me every single day of my life. It's like it's a, it's just crazy the irony of it all. At least for me personally, because it, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that 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 happens, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like I guess being able to understand that at the same time makes it all the more interesting and all the more exciting, honestly, too. And I guess actually speaking of uh, interesting and exciting, I'll ask you now, actually, what do you think actually are some of the, the best qualities of people who are on the spectrum? Um, yeah, Ed, there are lots of them. I think there, there can be um, a real clarity. Oh, my dog is banging at the door. I think I, I need heard to, that. I need to open the door or she'll keep banging. Sorry. All right. All right. We'll take two seconds. Yeah, that's okay. It's fine. Right. I'm back. Um, I think so clarity about kind of what you want, um, mm -hmm. about what you need. Sometimes that that's so nice that that real um, clarity. There's my dog again. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think, I think there's a directness often that you'll see, and these are generalizations, right? Of course, I'm making lots of general. There's a, but there's a directness, um, right? Um, which I so much appreciate that, that, that directness, no subterfuge, no manipulation, no like, yeah, you know, just a direct statement about likes and dislikes or needs. It's, it's related to the clarity. I think the deep interest is fabulous, and um, you know, if channeled correctly, can be such uh, is of such value to society. Um, we need we need people who are able to sustain attention and to sustain focus like that, and really dive deep. It's super important, super important in music and science and all different areas. Um, I think sensories, sensitivities, um, I mean, I think that's a challenge area. Speaking mm -hmm. of which, there's my dog, so <laughs> I don't know. She really wants to go outside. I, she's not usually a problem. Sorry, Keegan. That's okay. Hey, you know, I, 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 there's nothing I love more than an animal uh, inter intervention, so I have no problem. <laughs> There's my animal intervention there. Um, there you go. So, so for instance, just now, I was super distracted by my dog right. whining. And, and um, you know, for somebody who has a lot of hearing sensitivity, let's say, that would have even been hard, harder. So the sensory, the sensory piece, sometimes it's an oversensitive, sometimes an undersensitive. But again, that can be a real strength if you're um, able to 
really tune into the taste or texture of food and then can channel that into being a, a wonderful chef or um, using, using um, your, your hearing for pitch and sound and rhythm and turning that into being musical um, composing or, or playing music, you know, so there's all sorts of ways that that sensory piece can, can be helpful. Um, sorry, I have one more. Can I keep going with strengths? Give, give it. One more, one more is the cognitive, the cognitive piece. Um, I think memory can be a huge strength, attention to detail. Yeah, you're saying yes, that's what, <laughs> attention to detail. Um, and um, I think sometimes there's a visual spatial even strength, which is, which is terrific. So that's just a, a sampling. Oh yeah. Well, it, it's, again, it's so interesting because just from that sampling, there's so much I can draw a comparison to from my own personal experience, because I will happily admit, you know, I myself deal, deal with hearing sensory, you know, issues or whatever challenges, you know, it's like, I can't be in a space with a lot of noise for more than a few minutes myself. You know, it's like, there are points where it's just like, I got to get out of there. And it's like, at the same time, you know, you mentioned deep interest. I'm a very, um, I'm very usually very interested in what I do. You know, it's like, I'll, it takes me longer to read a book than other people just because I want to, I'm really interested in it. And, you know, it takes me longer to watch a TV show or whatever, because I want to go back and make sure I got everything from that. So, and then you also mentioned at the very end there where I, I where I agreed with you the most, which was uh, memory and that kind of thing. I was, you know, there's too many times, like people who know me best, they're like, they always tell me, it's like, Keegan, you have such a great memory. So it's like, I definitely could see why that would be at least in part related to me being on the spectrum. But, you know, again, it's a case where hearing that come from somebody like you, it makes all the sense in the world all over again. So I think that's, um, it's very helpful to hear. And I think it's also very interesting too, you know? Um, but anyway, I guess now uh, moving on, what I'll ask you here is, I know this is very, this next question, it's very tough to generalize, but in your interactions with these people on the spectrum, you know, and I know you've had a lot of them, so maybe that makes it easier. Do you ever adjust um, how you communicate with them or how, you know, you do whatever this or whatever that with them, you know, how do you do, uh, how do you interact with them differently compared to a more neurotypical person? Any, in other words, the average person. Um, I think one thing that I would pay more attention to in my own conversation with someone on the spectrum was my use of metaphorical language. Maybe I'd, I'd want to check okay. in more and make sure that what I thought I was communicating was actually what was being heard if I, if I was um, using more metaphorical language. Um, you, you know, um, that's, it, that's the one that comes to mind. I feel like, I feel like I have to individualize for each of the people that I work with. So, and, and also I, I only work, um, with, I, I don't have a lot of experience with people that aren't, are, are on the spectrum, but are less high functioning. So that would require probably more adaptation than, than I've done in my own practice. 
Yeah. Well, listen, like I said, I, I told you in advance, this is, I know this is going to be tough to generalize. So just do the best you can. You know, it's like, you're right. It, 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 it's hard to kind of uh, make a distinction of how you interact with people who are on the spectrum differently than just people you meet in life. And I guess part of the truth in that is that, you know, it's like, if you get to know people on the spectrum well enough, it's like, when you interact with them, it seems like you're interacting with any average person. Mm-hmm. It's like, you almost don't notice it. So I get why it's hard. And as a result, I will happily take what you gave us. I think, you know, that part you mentioned about being, uh, speaking metaphorically, I think that can have, I think that's definitely very relatable. And um, it can be, it can be um, taken in a very positive light, and can be used very effectively. So I definitely think um, at least getting that from you does a lot of justice. Do you own a classic Mustang, Corvette, Camaro, or Chevelle from the 1960s or 70s? Does the clock in your dash keep accurate time? Do you want to get a new clock for your car, but you don't want to pay $200, $300, or even $500 for a new clock? Well, then go to impactautopartsstore.com for a brand new quartz clock that looks identical to the original and is powered by a single AA battery. All at prices less than half that of a restored clock or a reproduction. Go to the website, impactautopartsstore.com, and keep on cruising. And so now, actually, I think what I want to do is... Before I, I know I mentioned I want to talk about sports, but actually, really quickly before I, 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 we do, I actually want to bring up something. So, for those who don't know, we're right now in the middle of the month of April, and April happens to be Autism Awareness Month. And so, I think what I want to do, um, as sort of a shout out quickly to what, uh, um, by sheer coincidence, happens to be uh, the, um, developmental challenge that I deal with personally in, in autism and ask you um, in regards to specifically autism and your experiences with people who have it, like me, for example, what have been some of your biggest lessons and experiences with people? And what do you think people should know, other people, I guess, should know most about them? I think uh, an appreciation um, for the range and 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 human ways humans interact in this world. I, I, I think that's that's been my takeaway. And that kind of with time and patience that um, we can really um, understand each other m- m- much better. And um, and help people build on their strengths to to do lots of stuff that maybe they weren't sure would be possible. Um, So I feel like it's a super optimistic um, perspective is what I take away from my work with people in the spectrum. Um, And I don't say that to undercut some of the challenges and, and major challenges that, that they've, they and their families have faced too. Um, um, I think what I'd want um, during Autism Awareness Month is for, I think people to have um, a real understanding that these diagnostic labels are shorthands, that they're simplifications, that they're categories, 
to help us communicate, you know, complex ideas in a few words, and they're super limited. And, and um, we need to be really thoughtful in how we use these labels to move us all forward rather than to, um, you know, hold people back. Um, um, and I, I think the labels get um, put into use in ways that they were not intended and that doesn't serve people well. So I would say to people who are on the spectrum, like more power to you, take what you can from that label that's useful to you and discard the rest. <laughs> uh, and I'd say that to their families too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I definitely think right there at the end, that's probably the best, uh, the biggest uh, thing to um, keep in mind just throughout all this, which is like, you know, take that um, stereotypical card and just, you know, turn it into the best thing ever, really, you know, turn it in, you know, it's a, it's a classic case of you turn a negative into a positive, you know, just like that almost, it's just like, and, and, and the other thing too, is it's like having a label almost feels like a blessing in disguise, because it's like, even though maybe people use it against you, the fact that you're, you're being called, or uh, identified in this unique and individual way it's like it makes you feel special honestly and i and i think that is probably the greatest um uh aspect to a lot of what's going on right now it, it's like you know we've got all these you know it's like you said we've got all these limited um viewpoints and stuff but at the same time because they're limited it adds to the purpose all the more, basically, it adds the value at the same time. And so I think that um, at, at the end of the day, does greater, uh, greater purpose um, towards making this um, just seem more normal too, like you said, at the same time, mm -hmm. or just make it feel more, uh, more good, honestly. Yeah. By the way, too, um, another thing uh, for all my viewers and listeners that you can do to support Autism Awareness Month is take the Twizzler Challenge. I will be doing that later this month, and um, we should all, I guess, try our best to do it to support the month, basically. You know, it's a great way and fun way, uh, if you consider it fun, to uh, show your support. So shout out. Um, I I uh, oh, jeez. Official challenge to all my viewers and listeners, take the autism challenge and post it online, you know, show your support. But yeah. anyway, um, uh, why don't we talk about sports finally? Jeez. Um, so I, again, I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You obviously don't have much experience um, with sports directly. You know, it's like, that's not what you're known for. And that's not why you're here. But at the same time, I guess I'll ask this somewhat simple question for somebody like you. And ask just based on the research and based on what you know, how do you feel that sports and exercise can help people who are on the spectrum? A huge amount, huge, huge amount. I mean, I'd take exercise for first because I think sport is a specific a subcategory of exercise in general. So if we just start with exercise, it's a it's a first line, front line treatment for for any kind of mental health issue right it's like sleep oh well if somebody's not sleeping then you you need to start there if somebody's not exercising that can be really a, a, a first step towards improving improving mental health any kind of mental health um you know we think about 
focus, we think about anxiety, we think about depression, all of these things are impacted um, by, uh, by exercise. Um, so, so that's just a, that's just a like first thing to take a look at and to, and to work on. And then sports is a specific type of exercise comes along with its own fabulous benefits. And so like, I only played team sports, you know, for half a year in fifth grade, really. I was, I was, I was doing other stuff in high school and in, in junior high. So that's, that wasn't ever my shtick, but, um, but, um, you know, as an, as an adult, I've seen the benefits. It's the, the structure of sports, um, I think provides, provides this fabulous opportunity for, for social interaction and exercise, learning to follow rules, learning to work together. I mean, the list goes on and on and everybody has their role and you figure out what your role is in this complex team, right? I mean, you're nodding, you've played a lot of sports, you know how this goes. And having that structure with rules, with roles, with um, shared working together toward a common goal, it, it makes these otherwise super complicated social interactions much more accessible once you learn that structure and those roles and those rules. So it's great. It's so funny, actually, you say that because you kind of almost answered what I was going to ask you next, which is that personally, for me, with my sports experience, I've always found team sports to be super helpful in addressing that exact problem right there, which is turning complex social interactions into much more simple conversations. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask, it's like, is that something uh, you see in the people um, you work with? And of course, it sounds like the answer to that is an absolute yes. And so I guess, while you pretty much answered that question, I guess I'll just quickly ask, is there anything you'd like to add on to that idea right there? Or what I asked you before about just um, using sports and exercise as a method of uh, helping people um, deal with yeah. the challenges they have on the spectrum? I think, yeah, a few, a few ways I'd elaborate. One is that, let's say, um, let's say kind of speaking up is an issue. So, and then let's say in, you're on the kind of, you're playing on a team where you have to vocalize, you have to verbalize to teammates, whether it's about you're ready for the ball or whatever. Again, I don't know the specifics, but so there you have, you're practicing verbalizing and you're doing it loudly because you're on a, a court, right? You can't use soft, you, you've got to know what's the right volume. You got to know where to direct it to. So it gives lots of practice in kind of appropriate assertiveness. In that context, this is what appropriate assertiveness is like. And the hope is then that'll generalize to let's say the history classroom. And that's what we don't, we don't know for sure how well it does. I don't know, Keegan, if you feel like it, these kinds of skills do generalize well, I think yes, maybe. I think, you know, at least for somebody like me and I, th I think it works. And I also do think it's like, it's something, it certainly doesn't hurt the person. I feel that it, that's the one fact in all this. Yes, it doesn't hurt. I'll say one more thing, which is about competition. And I think um, we, you know, we think of comp, you, you know, you wanna win, you wanna beat someone else. This is, this is a way of us channeling our aggression in an appropriate way. And I think one of the things that kids and adults struggle with is, 
okay, I'm mad, what do I do about it? It's not okay to be mad. And particularly if you have emotion regulation issues, you don't know what to do with these big feelings and sports shows you a structured way to be mad, right? And it's, and it's energizing and it's positive and you're helping the whole team. And so I think that's also a, a real benefit uh, of, of, of sports. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, once again, just plain irony uh, where everything you say I can totally relate to because this just happens to be my own experience where, you know, sports allows me to communicate with my peers better. Sports allows me to get my anger out, you know, that I'm holding in um, in a nice structured way, you know, sports, you know, it's, it serves as a way for me to speak up more, you know, it's just like, it all comes together so fluidly and just, you know, makes all the sense in the world too, when, you know, everybody uh, can talk about it and just agree to and see all the benefit in it as well, which I think is why, especially here, this, if this feels so good to hear, and I think it's so important to hear too. I'm going to add one more thing, which is that we think we use board games also as another way to kind of in a structured way, teach competition, teach people how to get along. Um, um, and it's not as good, right? right. It's, board games are great. People use turn, learn turn taking, learn rule following. Um, but it's not, you're not in your body like you are when you're out on the sports field. You're learning it with your whole self, right? And I think that's a much deeper kind of learning. It's interesting because I was about to say, it's like the difference between playing a board game and playing actual sports or just exercising, you're moving your whole body. You're getting your whole body involved. It makes all the difference in the world when you're able to do something like that. You know, because I've seen it happen, not only just with me, everybody I talk to agrees. It's like, there is a difference. And, you know, when you're able to get yourself out there and get your body moving and stuff, you just, even though, you know, it's like, you obviously feel the pain, you're tired, all that stuff. You just feel good too. At the same time, it's like, you're doing something that, you know, is making you feel good. And, you know, even though it's like at the, it may not be something you would do for the rest of your life. Well, I guess that's a lie. Even if it's not something you would do on a professional basis or whatever, or something like that. It's like just the fact that it can be a part of your human nature and stuff. And that to me is the, is the, uh, is the greatest gift of it all. And so now um, I think I actually um, want to kind of lead into the final section of uh, the questions I have for you here and kind of ask you some of the questions I've asked uh, my other guests actually um, in regards to you know, dealing with people on the spectrum or being on the spectrum, that kind of stuff. And I guess these are, I would define these questions as kind of the, uh, the questions that give, that can connect the most or are the questions that any person would ask basically. But before I ask them, I'd like to give another shout out to another one of our sponsors. Are you looking to boost your SAT score by at least 360 points? Whether your goal is the SAT, ACT, AP classes, or general test preparation, turn to Sam's Tutoring Company. Sam is a Caltech-educated tutor with over 17 years of experience teaching over 700 students of all ages. Whether you want to learn in person or remotely, Sam is ready to help you accomplish your academic goals. Call Sam's Tutoring Company. If you mention the promo code SPORTSPECTRUM, you'll receive 25% off the price of your first session. And so now I want to start by asking, honestly, this might be probably the most, well, I'm not sure if it's popular, but it's certainly probably the most 
important or I guess widely asked, like every person who watches or listens to my podcast knows the question I'm about to ask here, which is that when you hear the term mental health, what goes into your mind? What pops into your head? And just what does it mean to you? You know, that's my field, right? So when I hear <laughs> when I hear that term, I, I, I want to know who's saying it and for what purpose. Because for me, it's like the air I breathe, mental health. I, you, know, you studied a lot, worked with it for, forever. So my, I want to know, well, who, who is this coming from and, and why? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, nothing, it's foundational. Mental health is foundational. It's core. It's central. I mean, and, and uh, you know, I think in lots of ways we've made tremendous progress in understanding that mental health is, you know, just like what's your blood pressure, or, you know, what's your sugar count, you know, you know, it's, it's one of those basics that we need to be attending to um, all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I guess maybe as a quick follow-up to see if I can uh, get some more uh, information out of your mouth. Let's say, I, I well, okay, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Um, what are some of the most like common people, I guess, that you've heard say this term? And what are your reactions to those people? Like, I guess, I guess I'm saying, what are some of your most common reactions to mental health, if it varies person to person, which I totally get, by the way. Um. You know, that's so broad for me, Keen. I'm not sure how to answer it. I'm not sure how to answer it. When I hear about, um, I, I, you know, um, I, I guess if I think about, well, where am I seeing that word now? I see it in the, you know, uh, mental health related to the pandemic. What's happening? Um, there you go. Um, and, um, and I see rates of anxiety and depression going up, right? That, uh, and I see lots of talk about kids' mental health and the impact of not being in school and what that's done to their mental health. I see, um, I see uh, attention to the term in a new way. That, that it is becoming um, a fo it, that, it, that it is something we need to be tracking, that it's urgent and central and uh, universal. Yeah, no, I, I actually think what you did right there was actually just what I was looking for, which is you found something in this case, the pandemic that has impacted everybody and you found a way to connect that with mental health. And I think for a lot of people listening, in fact, I know everybody listening will totally agree in the sense that, you know, this pandemic has had a huge impact on our mental health, you know, mm -hmm. both for adults and for kids. And so I think right there, the way you put it, I think can just help a lot of people maybe understand. It's like this, even people like you see this to the highest degree and understand the challenges that come with it. And mm -hmm. I think at the same time, the way you put it in terms of providing the, the insight right there, I think that can uh, 
be a great benefactor to a lot of the people, both listening to this and just in general. Because again, like I said, this is something that has affected all of our lives. And the fact of the matter is it's going to affect our lives for years to come. So to, to uh, identify right now while we can in the best way possible, what it means for our mental health, I think can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for that, I guess is what sure. I'll say to finish right there. But I guess now kind of, um, uh, kind of um, coming, going back a little, I'll ask you this, which is um, obviously you've been in this field forever. You mentioned that, you know, and a lot of stuff has happened over that course of time. And so I would ask you here, what have you seen as some of the biggest changes in this um, field or just for what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in people on the spectrum as time goes by? Like, are they more open? Have their behaviors changed? What has changed basically since you started to where you are now in this whole field in general? So I think the field has changed as um, understanding of the prevalence has shifted. So now we think maybe 2% of, of people that are born now have a diagnosis of being on the spectrum. Um, and that, and it used to be, you know, being on the spectrum used to be thought of as a very rare uh, thing. And in fact, uh, I, when I was in graduate school, and I wanted to, actually I wanted to have um, autism as one of my three kind of orals topics, which are topics that you do a lot of research on and then are tested, um, tested on. And one of my faculty advisors said, no, you know, do you, do you really wanna do that? That's so rare, you're not gonna come across it in your work. You're not gonna come across this diagnosis. You're not gonna come across people with this diagnosis. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I really wish that I had not uh, and not listen to his <laughs> advice because it was something I really wanted to learn more about. Um, but that's changed. I don't think an advisor would say that to me these days. So, um, so there's a real shift in awareness and in understanding, which I think is, is super important. It's helping with this early diagnosis that's happening, um, the burgeoning research, you know, it's taking us to a much better place. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I'll just say this, if somebody ever said that to me, I'd probably punch them in the face right away. It's like, that to me is such an insult, but at least um, at the time I could totally understand why somebody would say that. And you're absolutely right. Now, obviously it's not a case where this is considered rare, quite the opposite. You know, it's considered one of the more common things. And so I think um, the fact that you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are understanding it more or accepting it at least, you know, I think um, has a lot of benefit into um, finding ways to address it more. And I guess I'll kind of build off of that a little bit and ask you a quick follow-up here, which is what do you think have been some of the biggest, at the same time of more people understanding this exists and that it's widespread and all, what, have, what do you think have been some of the biggest changes in terms of, you know, dealing with this? Like in terms of finding treatments and stuff and learning how to cope with it, all that kind of stuff, you know? how you've changed, um, for example, how you've changed your, your methods or how the field of psychologists have changed their methods? Um, I think there's more access to treatment. So there's more specialty clinics that are evaluating and treating um, kids and adolescents on the spectrum. So that's great. 
to have just more opportunities for treatment. Um, I think um, there are more kind of community support groups, um, like, you know, layperson support uh, opportunities, um, podcasts like yours, um, just much more access to information um, than, than there was. And that's, that's really a huge opening up um, for, so if, if a parent, you know, has a concern, they, their, their pediatrician isn't more likely to be well-informed or at least have nowhere to send them. Um, and, um, and then they can go online and, and get lots of supplemental information too, if they feel like their pediatrician's not leading them in the right direction. So, so I think the access has greatly improved. I'm sure it's, it's not sufficient, but, but it's a big deal. Yeah, no. And it's actually funny. It's actually interesting. You mentioned that part about, you know, uh, knowing where to go in terms of get it as a way of getting valuable opinions in terms of how to deal with it, you know, because it's interesting because, well, I'll just say now it was interesting for me because um, my mom actually told me a story of how when she first found out that I, you know, had autism and stuff, she considered actually sending me to a different school there compared to where I was currently because she thought I needed it in order to find ways to better deal with it. But um, she ended up going to see one of, I think it was one of her doctors or stuff who had kids um, who were on the spectrum and had gone to different schools in terms of how her, her kids, her kids who were on the spectrum went to one school while her kids who didn't, who weren't on the spectrum went to another school. And she basically gave advice to my mom. She told my mom, it's like, Hey, your kid doesn't need to move where he is. He's in a good place right now, believe me. And I think for her, and she told me, it's like that made all the difference in the world for her. You know, it really made her feel more comfortable with where I was and where I would be. And I think for a lot of people, they can relate to that in a sense. It's like the fact that they have all these other people and resources to go to now to know how to deal with this stuff. It makes it just much less of, I'm not going to say burden, but it's like, you know, challenged in itself in learning how to deal with it, you know, and find ways um, that are most effective for the people who have to deal with it personally. And those who have to know the work with the people who do deal with it personally, like for you, for example. So it's like, I think um, that's, that's very important right there. Yeah. Um, and I guess um, what I'll do um, is I'll first ask, this, which is, do you have anything to add on to that, if anything? I, I mean, uh, just uh, that while access and information has massively improved, it's definitely not sufficient. And, and, and parents navigating the system suffer a lot as they try to find the right person to help them. So I, I want to bring up both of those as being as being true. Yes, it's better and it's still not good enough. Yeah. No, no, no. I, uh, again, this is just a case where we're not trying necessarily to, or we're not at a place where we can be satisfied, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we're in a better place. Mm -hmm. And while that maybe may not mean much in the long term, of, in, in terms of where we're going to get, 
at the same time in the short term, that can still be very important. So, you know, while I totally get what you're saying, you know, I definitely think uh, it's important to recognize all the progress that's been made. And I'm sure you're not trying to disrespect that in any way. So, but, and I think at the same time, the fact that you mentioned that is also still very important because I don't think a lot of people would admit that at the same time, you know, so I appreciate you for bringing that up. And then also that point you mentioned about how parents who have kids who are on the spectrum have to go through a lot themselves, you know, sometimes even more than the kid, um, him, him or herself, you know, because it's like, they're the ones who care most about the, the kid at the end of the day, at the end of the day. So it's like for them to be able to have the help they need can also be a big difference as much as it can be for the kid to get the help he or she needs too. Uh, at the same time. So now I think I'll, I'll sort of um, kind of wrap this up here and ask you the question I finish uh, ever, or I'll ask you the question I ask all my guests at the end of each interview that I have on this show, which is that, and we, it's so weird too, because unlike my previous guests, we actually just talked about this idea right here, which is that a lot of progress has been made. Mm-hmm. A lot more people are more open to this. They know it exists. You know, they have more resources to go to, you know, even if it's not enough yet. Um, but, but at the same time, there's a stigma that exists in all of this. And like you mentioned, it's the fact that there isn't enough. It's the fact that people still don't accept this as much or believe it's as widespread, or maybe they just don't know actually at the same time, you know, there are a variety of reasons for it. And the question itself I'll ask you now is, if there was any one or two or whatever things that you would want people to know in re- relation to everything we just talked about, and I know that's very broad, but I'll, I'll try and help you out as much as I can here. If you had to give like one or whatever pieces of advice or just facts or things you believe in, what would that be? I think... I think even though we've made so much progress on destigmatizing um, mental health issues, it's it's ingrained in us in ways that we don't even realize. And so I would ask everyone to pay attention to how that stigma might come out. Like when you're calling something crazy, you know, what, what are you? What is that? What is that doing? Is that perpetuating the stigma against mental health problems? When you, um, I I think we 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 have a we could all do a little bit better, maybe even a lot better at kind of understanding how we dismiss people so easily um, if they have a, 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 a mental health problems. So both, there's both progress and this ingrained kind of bias that we need to, that we need to, you know, uproot. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously if this, if this stigma did not exist, I wouldn't be asking this question, but it does. And I think it's definitely probably the most important aspect when, de- when trying to confront something like this is knowing where it's coming from. It's interesting actually too, because Um, I actually recently watched um, a TED talk that kind of talked about this concept of looking at things that you don't agree with in any way per se, 
but at the same time, knowing that if you're going to be able to get rid of them, maybe someday, you have to learn where they came from and find ways to let the people who brought it up to where it is now, you know, talk with them about that stuff and basically kind of build up the respect in terms of letting them know now it's like, maybe that was a past idea that you have in your head right now, but that's not right now. This is now. And it's like, this is the truth. And I think it, for the people who can learn how to master that kind of technique, it, it, it honestly is probably going to be the biggest key in how much further our progress will be in regard to this and how much lo- uh, less of a stigma there will be in the future. So I think that is, uh, that is very key right there. Um, just that little idea, which has all the difference at the same time. And so I guess I'll, I'll just ask, um, before I finish here, it's like, what do you think maybe is like the, the biggest thing that you see now in terms of what you do? Like what, how do you view what you do now? In terms of what, how do I view what I do now in terms of just like, you know, it's like, what do you feel like you're doing here? You know, why do you think you're here? Put it that way. In my, in, I think, um, I think I have this great opportunity in my work to um, um, facilitate people's growth, you know, support parents and children and adults as they try to, do things differently than they've done them before. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, um, that feels like a huge privilege to be part of that. And I learned a tremendous amount from the people I work with. It's, a, it's, it's really um, pretty great stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I know. And, and I guess I'll phrase this one more way. If, you, if anything else comes to mind, which is another way I would phrase this question. It's like, why do you think doing this uh was the thing for you you know but you but mean why like, did i go into the the field mental right field? exactly um i've just been curious about what makes people tick since i was a little kid mm. it's just been a long-standing curiosity why why did this person do that why is this person well that doesn't make any sense it was just a just a deep curiosity about humanity i think well we are all curious about everything i myself am too and i think everybody else on the spectrum is as well so i think at the end of the day that is probably one of the biggest common or commonalities ever or not commonalities ugh, similarities all of us share whether we're on the spectrum or not and is that our desire to be curious about anything but i get i guess in your case your desire to be curious about us has done so much and so uh because of that i want to say thank you kathleen so much for sharing and educating everything you've learned with our audience today we definitely would love to have you on again sometime soon you know you're you're a great um uh, doctor and just everything you do in this field and I'm sure everybody all my audience and everybody who's been um, uh, treated by you would certainly agree you're awesome and you make a, a lot of difference in our lives 
And um, with that, I would also like to say thank you to our subscribers and listeners for joining us today. If you're looking for more great content, then please go to our website at www.sportsandthespectrum.net. And then for all of you, also please remember the three rules of life. Stay safe, have fun, get dirty, and I will see you all on the next episode of Sports on the Spectrum. 